0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Nick Carter first made an appearance in a pulp novel in 1886. His popularity lasted over 100 years until the last Nick Carter Killmaster book was published in 1990. The master detective first ventured into radio on April of 1943 on the Mutual Broadcasting System as The Return of Nick Carter. That was a nod to his pulp fiction history. The title was changed to Nick Carter Master Detective shortly thereafter. Now, Lon Clark starred as Mr. Carter throughout the run, with his assistant Patty Bowen, first voiced by Helen uh, Choate for the first three years, then Charlotte Manson for the rest of the series, the cast of Nick Carter, Master Detective, also included John Kane as reporter and friend, Ed Latimer as Sergeant Matheson, Nick's inside man at the police department, and Michael Fitzmorris served as the announcer. Now, interestingly, the head script writer, Walter B. Gibson, was the co-creator and writer of the Shadow public novels, which were published by the same group that published Nick Carter Books. And when Gibson asked for a raise in 1946, he was summarily fired, then picked up by Jock McGregor, the producer and director of the Master Detective scripts. Other writers include Milton J. Kramer, David Cogan, and Alfred Bester, who won the first Hugo Award in 1953 for his novel The Demolished Man. Now, I myself wondered what the heck are the Hugo Awards? Well, it turns out they're science fiction's most prestigious award. They're voted on by members of the World Science Fiction Convention, which is also responsible for administering them. Organ music was supplied by Hank Silvern, Lou White, and George Wright. The series had a spinoff, Chuck, uh, pardon me, that should read Chick, Carter, Boy Detective, which featured Nick's adopted son in his own adventures geared toward younger listeners. It aired from July of 1943 to July of 1945. And now the episode entitled Records of Death.
2: the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction. Nick Carter, Master Detective. Tonight's curious adventure, Records of Death. or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Unclaimed box. The fact of the matter is, Mr. Carter, that I have quite accidentally stumbled on a terrible crime. Or, to be more correct, I've stumbled on evidence that a terrible crime has been committed. But even so, Mr. Field, why do you come to me with it? That sort of thing to be reported to the police. And Mr. Carter, what police would I report it to? Where was the murder committed? I don't know. Well, how can you know that a murder's been done if you don't know where it was done? Well, that's what makes this particular crime different from any other. Somewhere, sometime, a murder's been committed. Yet I don't know when or where. As a matter of fact, I doubt if anyone in the world knows of it, except those who did it, and me. And how do you happen to know all this? Because the victim, a young and beautiful girl, has told me so in her own words. I have the knowledge from her own lips.
3: Oh,
2: and you've seen and talked to her? Well, here's the story, Mr. Carter. About a month ago, I attended one of the sales of unclaimed packages that the express company holds twice a year. Among other things, I bought was a box about one-third the size of a steamer trunk. It contained some miscellaneous articles of clothing and ten phonograph records. Phonograph records, huh? Regular professional records? No, Mr. Carter. They were small record blanks you buy when you make home recordings for yourself. I immediately played the records, and since then I've play them so often, I almost know them by heart. And you learn about this crime from those records? Yes. Sirfield. you want to arouse my curiosity, you certainly succeeded. Why can I hear these records? Immediately, Mr. Carter. I have them in my room. If you'll go there with me, we can listen to them at once. Splendid. You mind if I take my assistant, Patsy Bowen, with me? Of course not. And as soon as she's ready, we'll go. Patsy! Yes, sir? Get your hat. We're leaving at once. To listen to a murder. <laughs> Of the box, Mr. Carter. Beautiful, isn't it? Now, Mr. Field, before we go further, there are a few things I should like to you know. How long ago did you buy this box at the auction? A little over a month ago. On mm-hmm. well, the express company, must have had it for about a year or so. Another thing, were there any wrappings on the box when you bought it? Yes, it was well wrapped in heavy burlap. Do you have those wrappings now? I'm sorry to say I don't. By the time I realized that the wrappings might have furnished a clue to the mystery, they'd been burned in the incinerator. Too bad. Well, do you find a chance, or whatever, we call the name and address to which the box was consigned? Fortunately, I do. It was addressed to an Alex Delanois in New York City, but I've searched every city directory, every telephone book, every place where names are listed, and I can find no such name anywhere. There was no street address, and the rest of the label, as I remember it, was practically obliterated. I see. All right, Mr. Field, let's listen to the records. Gladly. I'm very anxious to get your opinion of them. Are they in any kind of order? After hearing them over and over, as I've done, I believe that I've finally arranged them in their proper order. I see. They're so peculiar, I can hardly wait to see if you can tell me the answer.
4: Here's the first one. I have a terrible story to tell.
5: But even while I try to tell it, I'm afraid that you who may listen to this will not believe me. But I beg you, if justice means anything to you, believe me and avenge me. I shall rest easier in my grave if I know that those who hope to profit by my death have been deprived of the fortune they plan to get by killing me. I am very rich, but I am not rich enough to avoid the fate that is in store for me. She sounds as if she meant it, doesn't she? I thought he was coming in, but he went away. I've tried several times to escape, but I've failed each time. I wish I could tell you where I am, but I can't, because I was drugged when they brought me here. Oh, I, I forgot to say... My name is Nancy Deering, and I'm 22 years old. You who listen to this will recognize the name at once, of course. I only hope they don't murder me until I can... Is that the end of it? Not quite. He almost caught me that time. But now he's left me alone again. Maybe I can...
2: That's all. Apparently he came back before she expected him.
5: She certainly had plenty of trouble getting a story out of the records, didn't she?
2: Yes. She was interrupted many times, generally in the wrong places. I imagine no trouble is too great if you're really desperate.
5: But a terrible feeling it must be to expect to be killed any minute.
2: Here's the second record if you're ready. Okay, Chief.
5: I don't know where I left off with my story last time. I dare not play it back. If they should ever hear what I'm trying to do, they'd take the machine away from me. Then I'd be completely lost feel that my end is coming very soon now. They may carry out their plans to. In the gloaming, oh my darling, when the lights are soft and low and the flickering. I think he's gone now. I'm sure Ralph was listening at the door, but the singing apparently convinced him I was listening to the radio. When the time comes, I know it will be Ralph who kills me. Olive will undoubtedly help him, but Ralph is the leader. I found that out the other day when they tried to get me to sign the papers which will give them possession of my fortune. I shall never sign, but that... When... A life the rest of the record oh, They did her best to on those records. Too bad she didn't succeed
2: better. She managed to get most of her story on the records, one way or another. thing she really missed out on was telling us more about herself than just her name. I it never occurred to her that the records might travel thousands of miles before someone would hear them. Yeah, here's the third record. Last night
5: somebody searched my rooms while I was in bed. Maybe they suspect that I'm making these records although I'm very careful. I play the radio all the time so they'll be used to hearing the noise. Ralph told me yesterday he was sure I was going crazy. Maybe I am.
3: Nancy, Olive asked me to tell you that.
5: And that ends that. Whose voice is the that was there, at the end?
2: I suspect it was Ralph's. It's amazing how much of the scene she recreates this way without really saying anything definite. You can feel the tension and suspense right along with her. Yeah. On the fourth record, she was able to get part of the visit that Ralph paid her one day. She must have known he was coming and prepared for it by putting a record blank in the machine in advance. Then, when she heard him at the door, she probably turned it on. Got this.
5: We put it on correctly, Mr.
2: Peter. you. Know, Miss Bourne. Well,
4: i beautiful you for young half-sister. Have you decided to sign over your fortune to me? I
5: told you long ago I'd never do that
3: sign will set you free, just as we promised.
5: You don't fool me, Ralph. The minute I sign my name to that paper you have there, you'll kill me. You know that as well as I do. You'll set me free. <laughs>
3: That's funny. Ah, you've done it when you're well off, Nancy. If you did, you'd sign and go free. You must think I'm a fool, Ralph. I do. But I also think it won't be long before you wish you had it signed.
5: Oh, i wish missed this were all over I wonder how they'll kill me Ralph had referred to strangling me, I'm sure With those great hairy hands of his Just for Olive. Yes, and she'd use poison Oh,
2: That's all there is on that one
5: It's a pity she couldn't have put more on each record than she did She really used only a small portion of each blank.
2: Yes, Betsy, but she had trouble enough to get even that much on them, the way they watched her.
5: Nick, where could she get the blank records in the first place? They certainly wouldn't have let her have them knowingly.
2: If I were to make a guess, Betsy, I'd say that when they took her to the place where she was kept prisoner, they probably took along her clothes and some of her furnishings. And among them, probably, was this radio phonograph. Perhaps she specially asked for it because she loved music or something, and the record blanks were probably the machine along with the other records.
5: Mm, that could be... Uh, how about the fifth
2: record, Mr. I've never been able to make much out of this one. Maybe you'll have better luck. You mean it's not like the others? Quite different. Here, I'll start it near the end. The whole first part is a scratch and nothing else. Ah,
4: the idea of locking or something.
5: Very clear, that. Perfectly clear to me.
2: Nan locked her door and started the record. For some reason she waited before saying anything. Then Ralph and Olive came, found
3: the door locked,
2: and being suspicious, broke it down. Nancy hid and they dragged her out. There was an argument about something and I didn't get. Nancy grabbed Ralph's pistol and took a quick shot at him, but she missed. Before she could pull the trigger again, he took the gun away from her. Good oh, grief, Mr. Carter. It's clear enough when you tell it. Well, here's the sixth one.
5: I'm sorry. Time very short. I may be interrupted any minute. I'm seldom left alone anymore. They seem to be afraid of what I'll do if I'm left alone. I wonder that they haven't killed me before this. I wonder if they...
2: There's nothing but scratch for quite a bit here, but she starts again.
5: Olive came in. I had to stop. Now she's gone for a few minutes at least. Yesterday, I wrote a letter to my father, and I threw it out the window, hoping someone would find it and mail it. But Ralph found it and brought it back to me and laughed at me. I keep asking him for news of my father, but he'll tell me nothing. If father only knew where I am, he'd rescue me. Maybe if I can jump. Just...
2: And that's the end of that.
5: We didn't get much out of it.
2: I wonder where father comes into this. You see before we're through? This seventh record is more interesting. Because it records a complete conversation between Nancy and Ralph. Good. Let's hear it.
4: Well, my dear Nancy, how are you today? If you
5: had your way, I'd be
4: dead. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you kill yourself and save us the trouble?
5: You mean save you from having a murder on your conscience? you have such
3: a thing? Murder? Well, I don't object to doing it that way.
2: And that glass of water was merely an excuse to get Ralph out of the room while she put on a new one. Good for her. She's a clever girl.
4: But oh, what a
5: terrible ordeal she went through. Never knowing from one day to the next whether Good. it was her last.
3: Quiet, Patsy, please.
5: Thank you. You were gone quite a long time.
3: I met Olive in the hall. She reminded me to tell you
4: we've decided that unless you do as we want you to,
5: you have just one more day to live. Just one. getting that frightens me? I'm almost welcome death. Because I know it's the only way I'll ever get away from you two. And I'm firmly convinced you'll never succeed in getting possession of my fortune. Uh,
3: of course, we'll get it. No doubt about
5: that. I don't think you will. No. No. That is, you won't get it unless you're planning on murdering my father, too. After you forged a new will for him to leave behind him... Smart, aren't you? Guessed it, the first time.
4: No. No, you wouldn't. You couldn't. No, why not? He's not my father, and we want his fortune for ourselves.
5: I can't believe such inhuman creatures as you two really
4: exist! (laughs) Our mother bore a strange lot of children, didn't she?
5: On one hand, we have saintly Nancy.
4: And on the other hand, we have the twins, Olivet and me, who are anything but saintly. <laughs> yes, life is very strange sometimes. Get out! Get out! Leave oh, me alone! I've got with you! That's an excellent idea, Nancy. I'll be gone for about 15 minutes. If you're wise, you
5: won't be alive when I return. Goodbye. Goodbye. preserved for you
4: to hear...
2: She was putting on an act. I still feel terribly moved when I hear that record. never had a chance, really. Well, let's hear the next one. That's the ninth, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, number nine is almost a blank. Here it is. He almost caught me that time.
5: They mustn't do that because they might find the records I've already made and destroy them.
2: that's the end of the record. There's one more, isn't there? Yes. Uh, Number 10. The first two-thirds of it's blank. It starts here. old tragedy in history. Oh, well, Mr. Carter, have you got any ideas? I have, but I'm not ready to talk about them yet.
5: Well, what's the next step now, Nick?
2: Well, first of all, Pat, I so want to examine the other contents of the box thoroughly. I can look them over more intelligently now that I've heard the records. Then I want to play those records over and over, till I know them by heart. And then? Then I expect to be able to give you the answer to the problem. Mm-hmm. Got a sandwich in your pocket?
5: Oh, Nick, I thought you'd never finish listening to those
2: records. Well, I wanted to be sure I didn't miss anything anyway. And I believe I've learned everything those records could tell me.
5: You mean you really found some clues, Nick?
2: Yes, indeed, Betsy. There are several clues marked out for
5: us very plainly. Oh, that's wonderful. But first I want to go over
2: that list from head of the other things that were in that box addressed to Alex
5: Dell and what? Of course, Nick. Let me see now. Um yes, here it is. Alpha Cloak with label Felix and Company Toronto. And a beautiful and expensive thing it was, too silk slip with the name Olivette Dupre pinned on it. Wish I could wear silk like that. That's it. A silk slip with the name Nancy Deering pinned to it. A New Testament with the name Evangeline Dupre on the flyleaf. Several rings, all very valuable. A real pearl necklace. And some beautiful and very expensive lace. Also, of course, the blood-stained nightdress, which must have been the one that Nancy was murdered in.
2: And the three snapshots, of course.
5: Oh, yes. One with the name Olivette on the back. One with the name Ralph, and one with the name Evangeline Dupre Deering.
2: Whoever packed that box knew exactly what he was doing, Betsy. All ties together beautifully. He or she has given us all the clues he could to the people concerned in the affair.
5: Evangeline Dupre Deering must have been the mother.
2: Yes. She had two children, twins, Ralph and Olivet, by her first marriage. Then she married Nancy's father, a man named Deering.
5: But that doesn't get us much nearer a solution,
2: then. Oh, but it does, Betsy. Did you notice that all the voices we heard in the records were American?
5: Well, yes, I guess they were. And yet the names
2: are mostly French, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Now, where do we find a combination like that around here?
5: Why, in Canada, I suppose. Exactly.
2: And the label on the opera cloak says Toronto, which confirms the Canada ideal perfectly.
5: You mean that the Dearing's lived in Toronto?
2: That's certainly quite logical to assume that the scene of the murders Canada, and very possibly in the vicinity of Toronto. Always start there, anyway. Maybe the Toronto police can help us.
5: But, Nick, even if you're right, it doesn't mean that the police would know anything about the murder. It was all done so secretly.
2: You're overlooking one thing, Patsy.
5: Yeah, What is it?
2: The family from which these people came was a rich family. Very rich indeed, if we may guess, from the beautiful laces and from the jewelry and other things packed in the box. Mm-hmm. And remember also that Nancy's father was probably killed, too. Now, I can't believe that the head of a rich and probably well-known family could disappear without anyone knowing
5: it. You mean you think the police will know that something happened to him about a year ago? even if they don't think that there's anything wrong about it.
2: Exactly. So pack your bag, Patsy, and order a taxi to take us to the airport. We're flying to Toronto immediately. I'm very happy to welcome you back to Toronto, Mr. Carter. It's been many years since you've been up here to see us. Thanks very much, Chief. Now, you mind if I ask you a few questions? Of course not. Go right ahead. Did you get a letter about a year ago telling that a murder had been done... That if you want a proof, you should claim an express box sent to New York City in the name of Alex Dunwell. Wait a minute, by like George Carter, we did get just such a letter, but we thought it was the work of a crank and destroyed it. Do you mean it was true? I have every reason to believe it was. Now another question: Would you know anything about a girl named Nancy Deering, or about her father? For heaven's sake, Carter, what do you know about the Deering family? You answer my question first; I'll answer yours. What about the Deering?
6: Uh, the father, Charles Deering, is, is, or uh,
2: was, the younger son of an English nobleman. He was immensely rich at a house here in town, a country place called Deering Hall. He married a woman with two children, twins, I believe, and she died when his daughter Nancy was born. He was always prominent in local affairs up to about a year ago, when he said to have disappeared. Hasn't been seen since. I understand he started for Deering Hall, but never arrived there, according to his two stepchildren. What about his daughter, Nancy? Nancy was brought up by relatives in Montreal. Few people here know her at all. But as I remember it, she was supposed to have disappeared just before her father did. Although I now understand that she was at Deering Hall with her half-brother and sister all the time. You say Nancy didn't disappear after all? I know. As a matter of fact, she was here in Toronto this past week. She believes her father is dead, so she's applied for letters of administration for the estate. I thought so. You did? What do you know about it? Enough to know that this girl who calls herself Nancy Deering isn't Nancy Deering at all. She's an imposter whom the stepchildren have brought in to impersonate her. Chief, we got to get out to Deering Hall at once. off somewhere
5: right in here, Carter. I'm not quite sure. Well, look, Chief. There's a man staring
2: in the road up ahead. Oh, so there is. And he's motioning to us to stop. He
5: looks almost like a dwarf, doesn't
2: he? He's certainly a queer-looking individual. Perhaps
6: you are going to
2: the oil. Yes, we are. Why? Could you take me back there? I have
6: walked so far I am tired
2: out. Oh, of course. Climb in. What?
6: You are a police one, no?
2: Yes, I am. Oh,
6: then you can help me. And I need help so
2: very much. What seems to be the trouble? My name is Alex Delanois. I am the... Alex Delanois? But yes, you know me. You once sent a box packed with records and other things to New York City addressed to yourself? Oh, but yes, you have seen it. Yes, that's why we're here.
6: Tell me, how did you ever happen yes, to... Yes, yes, I will tell you everything. I was the caretaker at the hall. Miss Deering, let me stay in one of the old tower rooms because I am, as you see, a cripple. Sometimes I, I do not get out of bed for days at a time. About a year ago, the two stepchildren of those so very wicked devils came to the hall and... It was a girl who was kept a prisoner in one of the bedrooms. Alex, isn't that the whole road to the hall just ahead there? No, but yes. The hall is about a half a mile in of this road.
5: Go on with the story, Alex.
6: Yeah. Uh, the, the girl was so carefully guarded by those two, I could not get to her room.
2: I could not help her. I am a cripple. No, you did what you could, Alex.
5: You being there helped her, I know.
2: How did you manage to get the things packed in the box? After they killed Nancy,
6: they did not guard their room so carefully. I got in, I took the records and the other things and packed them in the box. A fisherman I know up by the lake sent the box by experts for me. I wrote to the police in Toronto and in New York. And told them what had happened.
2: And asked them to claim this box. But I am afraid they did not do it. No, we didn't. We thought the letter was just a hoax. What about Nancy's father? Ah,
6: the day after Nancy was killed, he came here and they tried to kill him too. Tried to? You mean they didn't succeed? No, no, not quite. They hit him on the head with a pistol and threw him into the lake from the high cliff. Ah, but I saw them do it and I rescued him. I took him to my home and nursed him myself
2: until he could get a doctor.
5: How is he now? He's
2: about well now, I think. There's a house right ahead, Nick. Drive right up to the door, Chief. I'll go ahead. You keep in the background in case they know you. Okay, Carter. But I'll be right behind you. Alex, you and Patsy stay here in the car. Oh,
5: but of course. Sure, Nick.
4: Yes. What is it,
2: please? Please tell Miss Deering that we've come to take some affidavits concerning her application as administrators for the estate. Yes, sir. Oh, come in, please. I'll announce you. It's your turn now, Chief. I'll stand here one side of the door, just in case. I can handle them, Carter. Maybe, but they're gonna be quiet. Here they come. Well, gentlemen, what can we I do to pray I arrest you and your sister Olivette for the murder- ah, I'll take that gun to-
4: him, oh,
3: help. no, you don't. They have handcuffs take care of you. You need any help, Carter? Oh, I can see
2: you. I swear, Carter. A pair handcuffs on him. They both keep safely till we can put them behind the bars. And we can now restore Deering Hall to its rightful owner once more. Even though it's almost a year later, the box at Alex and I has fulfilled its destiny. Strange Adventures of Nick Carter, Master Detective, which are brought to you regularly at the same time by WOR Mutual. What's your story going to be about next week, Nick? Well, next week I'm going to tell you the tale of the thief and murderer who had to be caught twice before he was really caught at all.
5: And when Nick caught him the second time, it was because he was able to guess in advance exactly what the criminal was going to do as well as exactly what he was going to think.
2: And what did you say the crime was? Merely a matter of murder and robbery. Well, there was
5: nothing unusual in the crime itself. The excitement came, and the way Nick chased him, outsmarted him, and finally caught him.
2: It's a very special example of the criminal who was just a little too clever for his own good.
5: He overrated himself and underrated Nick. That's
2: always dangerous where Nick Carter is concerned. Thanks to the government. And so long till next week.
5: So long, everybody.
2: And so long to you both. In the strange adventure you've just heard, Nick Carter was impersonated by Lon Clark, Patsy by Helen Choate. Original music was played by Lou White, and the entire production was written and directed by Jock McGregor. Next week, at the same time, listen to another curious experience of Nick Carter entitled The Unwilling Accomplice, or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Society of
3: (laughs) This story is a copyrighted feature of Street and Smith Publications, Incorporated. This is Mutual.
1: Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden as Our Miss Brooks and the episode Crystal Lake.
7: Irma, honey. Yes, Jane. This magazine says that scientists in Arizona have just found the footprints of a prehistoric animal two million years old. What do you think of that?
8: Well, I think they're silly if they try to track it down. I'm sure it's dead. <laughs> That's what you can expect when you
7: listen to my friend, Irma.
4: Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When other friendships have been forgot, theirs will still be hot.
9: Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend presents...
8: Our friend, Swan.
7: With my friend,
9: Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane.
7: You know, tonight is a very important night for me. I'm anxious to be bright and gay and I want to look my best. The reason? I met a new fellow. I really kind of like him. So I decided to discuss it with my roommate, Irma. Irma? Yes, Jane? I know this may shock you, honey, but I have a date tonight,
8: and it's not with Richard. Not with Richard? Oh, Jane, you're going to get a reputation for being footloose. Of course, if you want to go around with loose feet.
7: (laughs) Oh, Irma, stop being a Puritan. This is 1948. How long can a girl wait for a man? I'm getting older. So what? You know what they say, Jane. Wine improves with age. I know. If you wait long enough, it can turn into vinegar.
4: <laughs>
7: Personally, I think Rich is just wonderful. But he doesn't seem to be getting any more serious. The sound of those wedding bells seems to be growing fainter.
8: Well, that's one problem I haven't got, Jane. I hear bells in my head all the time. <laughs> but, Jane, uh, who's your
7: new fellow? Oh, his name's Peter Guilford. Irma, he's nothing short of sensational.
8: Oh, just like my Al, he's a sensational nothing, too. <laughs>
7: you can say that again, but I wish you wouldn't, because the subject bores me.
8: Oh, Jane, what does your new fellow Peter Guilford do?
7: Well, I don't know too much about him, honey, because I just met him. But I know he has an important job with the government. He uh, he mentioned something about being in charge of financial distribution.
8: Well, Jane, even though you met another fellow, I still think you love Richard. Now, tell me the truth.
7: Well, I don't really know, sweetie. Sometimes I'm not sure that I was ever truly in love
8: with Richard. Well, that's where Al and I are different. We know we're in love. Otherwise, why would I get all confused and dizzy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, honey,
7: the answer to a question like that has many ramifications. Anyway, I just can't wait until my date tonight with Peter Guilford. You know, I'm really excited about him. (laughs) Come in.
10: It's only me, Professor Kropotsky. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little crystal gazers. One with all the answers, the other still in a trance. <laughs> Excuse me for intruding, girls. I just came down to tell you the good news. I made up with Mrs. O'Reilly.
7: Oh, wonderful, Professor. That's what we like to hear.
10: How long could I stay mad at a woman who has such a wonderful heart? Imagine, last night she baked me a seven-layer cake Just what I needed
8: Oh, that's nice It
10: will make a perfect footrest Well, like I am
8: Oh, gee, this is a day for romance You and Miss O'Reilly And and Jane has a new boyfriend
10: Janie, is that right? What happened with Richard?
8: Nothing
7: it's just that Richard's been stalling, and I've decided not to put all my eggs in one basket.
8: Oh, you're smart, Jane. When they cost almost a dollar a dozen, you have to be careful.
10: <laughs> Being careful is what I want to talk to you about, Jane. A person, in choosing a mate, must never be too particular. You know, I remember when I started courting girls. One I didn't like because she was mean Another was jealous Another was stingy Another was naggy So gradually I became an expert And I wound up marrying a woman Who was a combination of all of them
7: (laughs) Well, Irma's jumping to conclusions, Professor I'm not marrying Peter Guilford I'm merely having dinner with him
10: But it's something to keep in mind, Jamie Why do you think I've gotten romantical thoughts about Mrs. O'Reilly? I'll tell you All my life, women I've known have run around with other fellows, but Mrs. O'Reilly, her I could leave on an island with a boatload of shipwrecked sailors, and she wouldn't get kissed if a mistletoe tree fell on. (laughs) And that's what a man likes, peace of mind.
8: Oh, Professor, uh, do you know that Jane's new boyfriend, Peter Guilford, has a very important job with the government?
10: Oh, really, Janie? What does he do?
8: Well, he he told me he was in charge
7: of financial distribution.
10: Oh, that already is a big job. Huh. And, Janie, I hope it works out well for you. Thank you. Well, girls, I got to go now. Since I'm taking Mrs. O'Reilly out, I think I'll run down to the corner and buy her a corsage. A bunch of celery.
8: <laughs> oh, Professor, you can't smell celery.
10: I got news for you. You can't eat daisies either. <laughs> Goodbye.
4: <laughs>
8: Hello? Hiya, chicken. Hello, Al. Honey, where
11: are you? In a telephone booth down at the unemployment office. Gonna be a little late, chicken. The guy who gives out the check seems to be all thumbs today.
8: Well, he should make you wait after all. You're one of their best customers. <laughs>
11: I know. Would make a complaint, but don't want him to think I'm trying to take his job away from him. Why not? He might give it to me. <laughs> hey, hold it, chicken. The line's starting to move. We'll see you soon. Goodbye, Al. Bye, chicken. Oh, made it. Boy, this gripes me. Still have to stand in line. you think a guy who's been coming here this long and have seniority. Uh, it's the fault of the guy who distributes the checks, that Peter Guilford. There's a real bum for you.
3: Boy, I hate him.
11: Oh, hiya, Pete. How's tricks?
3: Oh, it's you, Al. Did you look for a job this week?
11: Uh, uh, no, I couldn't. Uh, you see, um,
3: my grandmother died. She died last week. She rallied. <laughs> I knew you'd have an answer. You always do. Here's your check. Aw, thanks, Pete. See you next week, kid. That
11: Peter Guilford. I hate that bum.
7: Irma, honey, will you hand me my nail polish? I want to look my best for Peter Guilford tonight. All right, Jane. Come
8: in.
12: Oh, hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. Oh, my, you're all dressed up. Thank you, dear. The professor and I are going out tonight, and I was wondering if you could lend me a pair of dark glasses. Dark glasses? Yes, the wind blew me eyelashes off the windowsill. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want him to see me without them. You know the way he kids about me false teeth and me artificial fingernails and the bleach transformation. He says if we ever cross the border, the customs man will be checking my parts Five days after we've gone. <laughs> oh, he's a great kitter.
10: It's me again, girls and Mrs. O'Reilly. Oh, what a beautiful day it is. I was just out taking a walk.
8: Oh, Professor, don't move. There are two caterpillars on your shoulder. Caterpillars?
12: Glory be, those are my eyelashes. <laughs>
10: I should have known. You know, Mrs. O'Reilly, if this building ever caught fire and you jumped out of the window, the fireman wouldn't know which
12: part to catch first.
4: <laughs> oh,
12: hush, Professor. Tell me, Janie, darling, how's Richard? I see you're wearing a new dress. Going somewhere special with him?
7: Well, before Irma gets a chance to distort the news, I'll tell it to you. I'm dating a new beau tonight. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he's a very important man who
12: works for the government. Well, you know what's best for you, Janie. I only hope it'll bring you happiness. After all, the most important thing in life is love. Now take me. All right. I'll admit I'm not a spring chicken. I'm 39.
4: <laughs>
12: I'm going out with the professor tonight.
10: Mrs. O'Reilly, you are 39. Then let me ask you a question. Why is it the moment the music starts, you automatically go into a minuet?
12: That's the reason I love to go out with you, Professor.
10: I like to go out with you, too. But to help me, I can't think of a reason. Well, goodbye,
12: girls. We'll be running along now.
10: (laughs) Goodbye. And Janie, have a good time tonight with your new boyfriend.
7: Thanks, Professor. Irma, you know, I want to make a good impression tonight, so I think I'll buy a new hat. I won't be long. If Richard calls, remember, you don't know where I am.
8: All right, Jane. Come in.
11: Hello, Jane. Hi, Hiya, chicken.
8: Hi, Al. Hello, Al, honey.
11: Oh, the humiliation of that unemployment office. I won't have to put up with that stuff much longer. Got a deal that'll put me on easy street.
7: <laughs> yeah, I know. You're going to glue corn silk on old sweaters and sell them for fur jackets.
11: <laughs> no, that's not the deal, but like yours better.
7: <laughs> Sorry, Al, I've already patented it with the insane asylum Well, I'll be back as soon as I find a hat, honey Goodbye, all
11: hmm. Disparaging date Never gonna amount to nothing
8: Oh, don't say that about Jane, Al She has a date for dinner tonight with a new boyfriend
11: Oh? She gave Richard the old heave-hole?
8: Well, Richard has been stalling You know, a girl gets impatient waiting for a man to accept her proposal
11: <laughs> Chicken, you ain't hinting about you and I
8: No, Al, but now that you mention it, I think it's about time we get married. I want to have children while I'm young, while I still know what more than they do.
11: Chicken, you can't get married on a shoestring. Besides, I want you to have a nice home, beautiful furniture, a maid, and and a car of your own.
8: Oh, Al, a car of my own? Why,
11: certainly. You think after we're married, I'm going to let you walk to work?
8: (laughs) so tired of waiting for that day.
11: Oh, now, Chicken, you gotta be patient till one of my deals comes through.
8: Oh, Al, if you could only get a good job like Jane's new boyfriend has, we could get married right away.
11: Yeah, what does this guy do?
8: Oh, he's with the government in charge of financial distribution.
11: Financial distribution. Sounds important. Chicken, me meeting a guy like that might change our whole future. How? I'm working on a plan. No, all our dreams will come true.
8: Oh, Al, well, I have so much confidence in you. Now, let me give you a big kiss for luck.
11: Okay, Chicken. Hey, Chicken, what's the idea of making those cross eyes when I kissed you?
8: Well, I wanted to see on which side of my nose your nose goes when you kiss me.
11: <laughs> which side?
8: Neither. <laughs> we meet bumper to bumper. <laughs>
7: For a hat I've tried off The face hats On the face hats Low brims High brims No brims No hat Just brim (laughs) However I saw one That I thought Was
4: adorable
7: Three roses Sewed on a ribbon Ninety-five (laughs) dollars I wouldn't spend That much for three roses If I just finished A quarter four roses (laughs) So I decided to just forget the hat Let my personality work for me tonight Hello, honey Hi, Jane Did you get a hat? No, I didn't, honey Not that I care But, uh Did Richard call? No Well, who cares Just as well
8: Oh, yes
7: Well, I I don't care Were you here all the time? Yes (laughs) Well, if he does call Tell him I'm not here All right, Jane Never mind, I'll tell him. Hello?
3: Hello, Jane. Oh.
7: Oh, it's you, Richard.
3: Jane, I have good news for you. I'm taking you out tonight.
7: I've got news for you. I've already got a date.
3: Oh, you have?
7: Yes, I have.
3: Well, that's nice. Uh, Enjoy yourself.
7: I certainly will. Good night, Jane. Richard? Richard? Uh, Richard? Well, how do you like that? He's not even angry. Well, Jane, do you care? Of course I don't care. He means nothing to me. Nothing at all. Jane, you just tore your handkerchief. Well, I like it that way. After all, two handkerchiefs are better than one. (laughs) Oh, leave me alone, will you? All men are
8: dogs. Come in. Hiya, chicken. Hello, Prince, honey. (laughs) We were just talking about you.
11: Oh, something good, I hope. Because, uh, Jane, I got something to ask you, and I, I don't know exactly how to begin.
7: Well, leave out the words, may I borrow, and just take it from there. (laughs) Uh,
11: I don't need money, Jane. It it is my belief that a guy only gets places through contacts, people he meets.
7: Yeah, that's partially true. Yeah.
11: Now, when you first introduced me to Richard, I thought he could do me some good. But uh, through some slip in the conversation, he found out I was a bum. (laughs) Now, Jane, you got a new guy, and I want him to think well of me.
7: I mean... You mean in case he can do you some good?
11: Well, contacts are vital, Jane. Now,
7: wait, Al. I've just met Peter. It's our very first date. I haven't even been out with him yet. I know he has an important position with the government, but but I can't ask him to waste his time helping out the unemployed.
11: But, Jane, I'm not asking for myself. It's for Chicken. I want to marry her. But first... First, I want to make a man out of myself.
8: Oh, Al, don't change too much. (laughs)
11: Hold it, Chicken. Look, Jane. Your new guy is with the government, and they got lots of jobs open. There's there's diplomatic work. There's reclamation projects. Well, I might get a job with the TVA.
8: No, Al. I don't want you to fly.
11: Chicken. TVA is a dam.
8: I don't want you to swear either.
11: What do you say, Jane? I'd get down on my knees and beg you, but this suit won't take it. What do you say we all go to dinner together? Well,
7: gee, Al, I'd like to help you make new contacts if I could, but I can't impose on a strange man and and an important man on our very first date.
11: I'm not asking for charity. The treat's on me. We'll pick up the check to impress this guy. Part of the scheme.
7: Oh, Al, I just can't do it. Oh, gee, it's for our children. (laughs) I can't even do it for your children, and believe me, I'm crazy about them. (laughs) Yes, this is Jane, Stacy. Oh, hello, Peter. How nice of you to call. Please, Jane. Try
11: it. We'll yeah. pay all expenses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh,
7: Peter, I-, I hope you don't mind, but I have a rather unusual request to make. You see, I live with a girl, Irma Peterson, and her boyfriend is in town, and they would like us to be their guests at dinner. Uh, what's that? You accept? Now, now, you're sure you don't mind? Oh, that's fine. We'll meet you here for cocktails. Yeah, same time. Wonderful. Goodbye. (coughs) What do you know? He didn't object. He even seemed eager.
11: Hey, you see? The rich like a handout, too.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Don't be ridiculous, Al. He probably has more money at his fingertips than the government itself. Now, remember, Al, you said you'd pay for this dinner. It's all on you, and I want to go to a very nice place.
11: We'll handle everything. After all, I'm trying to make an impression, too. Must spend money to get money.
8: Oh, Jane, you're really a wonderful friend. And believe me, Al and I will never forget this. And after we get married, we'll name our first baby after you. That is, if it's a girl. (laughs) If it's a boy, we'll name him Jim, but we'll spell it Jane.
7: (laughs) Well, now that I've committed myself to cocktails, I guess I better run out and get some
11: hors d'oeuvres. Fine, Jane. And after cocktails, the entire evening is on me.
8: It had better be.
11: I'm loaded.
8: Oh, Al, it's working out wonderfully. Where will we go for dinner?
11: That's not important. What is important is where am I going to get the money to pay for
8: it? (laughs) Oh, but Al, didn't you get your unemployment check today?
11: Yeah, but uh, made some bad business investments, chicken. Ran into the crummiest slot machines I have ever seen. (laughs) I have seen more lemons today than the whole state of California.
8: (laughs) Now, Jane and her boyfriend are going uh, as your guest. What are you going to do?
11: Chicken, when you're in a spot like this, there's only one man who can help you.
8: Who else?
11: Who else but... Hello, Joe. (laughs) Al, got a problem. Need 50 bucks immediately. What do you suggest? Uh Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. Play bingo. But Joe, how do you win 50 bucks playing bingo? Or the way you play it at surefire Stand in a dark alley with a club? Wait for a guy to walk past and bingo, you've got the money? Oh, no, Joe. No, must be legitimate. In that case, you cannot be of service to me. Gotcha. Goodbye, Joe. Chicken, you get ready. I'm going out to
3: try to hustle the 50 bucks. But, Al, you got your unemployment check today. What are you doing back? Pete, I'm in a spot. Could I have an advance against the next two weeks? (laughs) Promise you I won't get a job. (laughs) Al, look, that's against regulations. It can't be done. But this might help you.
11: I'm entertaining a big shot with the government. Might get you a good job.
3: Please, Al, don't bother me. I've got my own troubles. I've got a date with a new girl tonight, and I've got to raise ten bucks to get my suit out of (laughs) hock. I was in a worse hole. But luckily, she's got a girlfriend whose chump boyfriend is picking up the dinner
4: table.
11: <laughs> now, you're a fine pal, but I'll fix you. This year, I vote Republican, and next year, you'll be in this line right in back of me.
4: <laughs>
8: well, Ella, I'm all dressed and ready to go out. Are we going to a ritzy restaurant?
11: With my present resources chicken, I hope Jane's boyfriend's a vegetarian. (laughs) Why? Looks like we're going to chew grass in the park.
8: (laughs) Oh, Al, Jane will be embarrassed because this is her first date, and and he's such an important man and everything. Uh, Come in.
10: It's only us again Kropotkin and O'Reilly Oh, hello uh, Mrs. O'Reilly and I Would like for you To do us a favor Tonight, please We are going out And we wonder If you'll take any messages That come
11: for us Be glad to, Professor But you gotta do me a favor Huh? It's a matter of life or death Could you lend me 50? Sure Can you break a dollar?
4: <laughs> no
11: 50 bucks
10: Al, if I had 50 bucks, do you think I would be going around with a certain party so she won't throw me out because I can't pay the rent?
12: Oh, Professor, you and your jokes. (laughs) Al, since you're
4: Irma's...
12: (laughs) Al, since you're Irma's boyfriend and I'm in such a good mood tonight, I'll lend you the $50. Gee, thanks. If I thought I'd get it back. (laughs) Oh, I'll be good for it. Very well. Now, if you gentlemen turn your backs... I'll take it out of the vault.
4: <laughs>
12: now, don't peek, Professor. Send it stuck in.
10: How do you like that? And to think I've been wasting time holding hands with her.
3: <laughs> Here you are, Al.
10: Come on, Mrs. O'Reilly. Now we can go dancing. Before I was ashamed to take you. Before it looked.
11: Like you had three knees. <laughs>
4: well,
11: goodbye and good luck, you. Thanks again, Mrs. O'Reilly. Consider this only a temporary loan. Okay, chicken, now we're in business. And since we're going out with such an important man, you take this money and go down and buy yourself an orchid.
7: Well, Al and Irma and myself are waiting for Peter Guilford to come over for cocktails. Irma's dressed for the occasion. She's wearing a sweater with her initials, an I and a P, embroidered on it. And knowing that Peter is a government man, Irma wants to show him she's impartial, so she's embroidered two more letters in front of her initials. D for Democrat and an R for Republican. Of course, the fact that it comes out drip doesn't seem to bother her at all. <laughs> Honey? Yes, Jane? You know, I can't understand why Peter's late. Well,
11: he better show up. I've already invested ten bucks for a chicken's orchid. He's got to be a very big man for me to get my money back.
7: Now, don't worry, Al, and just don't embarrass me, please. Well, I guess I'll go in the kitchen, and fix the hors d'oeuvres.
11: Chicken, just got an idea. What, Al? When this Peter gets here, it won't be right for me to blow my own horn. So I think I'll go into the bathroom, and that'll give you a chance to tell him all about me.
8: Well, Al, what shall I say?
11: Well, uh... Tell him I'm now retired, but will make myself available because I know the government wants men to take charge of various projects in all 48 states.
8: The projects in all 48 states? Yes, I'll remember.
11: Oh, oh, that must be him now. Let him in. I'll be in the bathroom.
8: Come in, Mr. Guilford.
3: Oh, good evening. You must be Jane's roommate.
8: Yes, that's me. Uh, My initials are on my sweater. Uh, just the second half. Uh, won't you sit down so we, so we can chat about my boyfriend?
3: Uh, what about him?
8: Uh, he's been engaged in various projects, and he's wanted in all 48 states.
4: <laughs>
5: what?
7: Irma, honey, would you get the ice and the... Oh, hello, Peter.
3: Oh, hello, Jane. Your your roommate has been trying to tell me something, but I... I... know.
7: We'll, we'll have a drink. Irma's easier to take that uh-huh. way. Uh, uh, Al! Al, come on out. I want you to meet someone.
11: Come
7: in. Al, this is...
11: Al! Pete! <laughs> Holy mackerel. Jane, is this the big shot government man?
7: Why, yes.
11: <laughs> Chicken. You know your orchid? Yes. Put it in the icebox. We're going to have to eat it all week.
7: (laughs) The other night I came home and found that Irma had made a little black jacket which she'd put on our bar of swan soap. So I said, Irma, honey, what's the idea of that? And Irma said...
8: Well, Jane, if a penguin can wear a tuxedo, so can I swan?
9: (laughs) Well, that's Irma keeping her eye on her swan soap. And no wonder because Irma knows that swan is the perfect soap for dishes. And you know, ladies, it is. Why, even the way a cake of swan feels tells you it's a perfect dishwashing soap. Sure, the next time you unwrap a cake of swan, just feel the cake with your fingertips. Feel how Swan Super Creamed Blend makes it differ from other soaps. It feels smoother. And feel those mild swan suds. They feel richer, creamier. Then you'll know why Super Creamed Blend protects your hands. Yes, thanks to Swan Super Creamed Blend, your hands are left with a soft, smooth, young look. And here's an added note those swan suds rinse away so completely your dishes don't need wiping. A real time saver. So for a soap that protects your hands, a soap that gets you out of the kitchen in a hurry, you want the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, Swan Soap.
7: Well, it's a small world, and I never knew it could be so revolting. Me, Jane Stacy. The girl with all the answers had a fall for a guy who was only one step ahead of Al. (laughs) So I said, you know, Irma, I've learned my lesson.
8: I'm going to stick with Richard. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. That's what Al says. What do you mean, honey? He says, why should he go looking for another chicken when he has a perfectly good cuckoo? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and
7: for once, Al has come through with a perfect description of my friend Irma.
9: My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. My Friend Irma stars Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conrad. Ladies, Listen. The shortage of fats and oils is still very serious, and it's worldwide. So please keep on saving every drop of used kitchen fat. Your butcher will pay you for every pound. Frank Bingman speaking. Tune in next week, one hour earlier, and listen to the Lux Radio Theater, immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Thank you for listening Tomorrow night, it's Phil Harris and Alice Fay, followed by Richard Diamond, private detective. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and
0: presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.